From Yahoo Finance, this is Ballots and Dollars, a podcast about the politics that affect your pocketbook. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. And it looks like Pete Buttigieg is breaking away from the middle of the pack. And dare we say, Rick Newman, he could be gaining on the front runners, namely Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and of course, Bernie Sanders. How is it that this um, little-known mayor from South Bend, Indiana, is gaining so much traction? It's a great question. Apparently, he's running a very solid campaign. It probably helps that he's from Indiana, and the first uh, election that matters will be the caucus in Iowa. That's in early February of next year. Uh, And he's just caught on. I mean, he's uh, likable. Uh, He is gay. um, And I, I don't know how that factors into his popularity. But he's straightforward about it. Um, And I think people like the fact that he's uh, smart. He served in the military uh, and he's young and he's and he's uh, he's very with it. I mean, he has a kind of a hip factor. He checks Um, a lot of boxes, I guess, for, for a lot of America. He's fresh. Put it that way. He's fresh, as the kids say. I mean, so the lead, you know, the three leading candidates here are all 70 years or older. Right. That's Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. And uh, Pete Buttigieg is 37. So what we're seeing happening in the polls is, uh, you know, we still have 19 major Democratic candidates. I mean, we've lost a few, but it's still a giant field. Yeah. Uh, but Pete Buttigieg now looks to be um, kind of moving into, uh, he's not, I wouldn't call him a front runner yet, but he's uh, he's leaving most of the middle of the pack behind and um, inching upward in polls. And then the other one who's sort of behind him is Amy Klobuchar. And I think those are the five candidates who really seem like uh, they might be the only ones who have a chance once we get to actual voting. You know, after the first debate, a lot of people were talking about Kamala Harris, perhaps, yeah. but she really has, has lost some ground here as we move on. She faded. Um, and, you know, this is just Politics. This is just polls, and um, funding is another factor. Those are the two factors that, sure. really ma- that will determine who gets to stay in. Uh, she has faded, and um, I'm not really sure why, but I think uh, you know she has had her say in the debate. She's been in all of them. Uh, she's a prominent person. She's well known. She just hasn't really clicked in any particular way. And I think for you know some of this is intangible. Um, Buttigieg. Is clicking. It feels like let's he's just clicking about, let's better Let's talk about why he's clicking. And is he, at this point, do you think, going after the moderate voter? Yes. And I think that's, I think that contributes to his popularity because, uh, uh, I mean, you, you, you uh, behind all of this is the big question of can any of these people beat Donald Trump, assuming Trump is the Republican nominee and that's not 100%. Um, well, you're likely. referring to the impeachment process yeah, and if you yes. were taken out of office. Yeah, that's, that's clearly— Although I did. must say most people, most pundits believe that would, would not happen even if you were to be impeached. Uh, probably, um, but I think it's become unpredictable. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Fair to, enough. To uh, take a sidetrack for a second, the big question about Trump at this point because the House is holding a lot of hearings and they are getting witnesses to testify— what are we going to learn that might be even more damage, damaging to Trump than what we already know? I think that's that's a big question. So what? at any rate, the Democrats still have to um, evaluate who they think can best beat Trump. And um, so as Buttigieg has uh, sort of uh, stepped out a little bit here, I've been looking at his economic policies to figure out um, where does he stand on the Democratic spectrum? Is he further over to the left with uh, Sanders and Warren, who are far to the left, and then I'd say Cory Booker and Kamala Harris also to the left, or is he more in the middle lane, which is 
where Joe Biden is and a bunch of other Democrats who are actually very centrist, but nobody's ever heard of them, like All Senator right. Michael Bennett. So let's start. So let's. I'm glad you do the homework on this stuff, and then you can come here and share yep. with us. Let's well, take I've, on I've the created, big— I've created my spreadsheet <laughs> okay. of Mayor Pete Buttigieg's uh, policies here. I have to think that health care is one of them because Medicare for All has sort of been this lightning rod, I think, for the Democratic Party. Yeah. This is the one. This, you're right. This is the um, the litmus, te- litmus test, really, right. where you can tell uh, is the person a leftist or a centrist based on their health care plan. And all the Democrats have some. They all want to do something on something significant on health care. And the whole question is whether it's Medicare for all, which would be move us moving us into a health care system completely run by the government, a single payer plan, or if it's something at a public option, but leave the private uh, insurance that covers most Americans, leave that in place. Buttigieg uh, says leave private insurance in place. Uh, he does not support Medicare for all. His plan is called Medicare for all who want it. And uh, this would have many parts, but the basics are uh, if you cannot get uh, insurance you can afford through your employer or through some other means uh, in the private sector, you'd be able to buy into uh, either Medicare or a new program that would look like Medicare. And there would also be some automatic enrollments for uh, pe- people in you know who uh, fall below certain income thresholds in states. You might be automatically enrolled uh, and things like that. So that is a far more limited plan than Medicare for all. It would be much less disruptive and it doesn't leave you having to answer two questions. One is, where are you going to come up with $3 trillion in new funding per year, which is what Medicare for all would cost? That is that is basically tax hikes on everybody. You don't have to deal with that. Uh, and you don't all have to also have to explain uh, why you're going to take people out of private insurance if they happen to like that private insurance. So uh, that's, you know, that's a fairly, fairly sensible plan. And he probably would- the biggest point in where he diverges with Elizabeth Warren, or maybe not, but it's certainly one big yeah. way in which he does. I think it's, a, it's the most crystalline way in which mm-hmm. he diverges from what some people call the progressive candidates. I don't know what that word means. I call them the more left-leaning candidates. So yeah, he does not favor uh, Medicare for all. And in general, where Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders favor a giant government program to address a problem, he favors a more measured approach that would involve some government role, but maybe it's a government role to uh, create new incentives for something to happen in the private market. So anyway, his plan, his health plan, Medicare for all who want it, Instead of costing $3 trillion per year, which is Medi- what Medicare for All would cost, it would cost about $150 billion per year. So that's only 5% of what Medicare for All would cost. That's a lot of money. Does he um, say how he would yes, pay he for does. it? Yes, he does. He recently said uh, he would raise a corporate tax uh, back to 35%. It was 35% until right. President Trump cut it in, in uh, 2017, and the Republicans passed that law. They cut it from 35% to 21%. Um, he would just raise it back to 35%, and probably that would raise enough, enough. revenue to cover this program. I, as a side note, I would say that I don't think it's a great idea to raise a corporate tax rate back to 35%. 35% was too high. Um, even President Obama acknowledged that. And the problem with a 35% corporate tax rate is most other developed countries have far lower rates. So you, you create an arbitrage situation where companies try to figure out how to set up their headquarters someplace else so that they, don't, they can pay at the lower tax rate. It's better that the United States has a tax rate closer to you know European countries, Canada, Australia, and places like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure he would end up raising it back to 35%. Uh, you could raise it to 25%. That would be probably okay. You could probably raise it to 28%. Um, but you still have a little bit of that arbitrage problem there. Um, but anyway, he would take it out of uh, out of um, 
cor- out, of, out of the corporate out of corporate profits, basically, is how he would pay for his health plan. But the middle class is not getting a tax hike under not his under plan. that not under that scenario. Um, so one other uh, plan we can look at that uh, kind of tells you how he differentiates himself from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders is his climate policy. So he's a young person. Um, he has he wants to do a lot on climate uh, ch- uh, climate policy. Um, but he does not endorse the Green New Deal, which Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren do. That is that's the pro, that's the program that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez came out with. Right. Um, I've analyzed that and looked at um, you know some of the third party analysis on that. That would be massively expensive. It would probably cost even more or, than Medicare, than Medicare for, all. for all. Um, and the Green New Deal would basically get the government into the business of power generation. And uh, it would get the uh, auto industry – correction, the government into uh, – heavily into the auto industry and all parts of transportation. So you've, you'd have – Well, that doesn't sound you, good. You, you'd basically have the government saying we can have no gasoline-powered cars by pick your cutoff date. I forget what, the, what it is in the Green New Deal. But it's soon. It's like 2030 or 2035, and that is that. It might sound uh, easy because we now already have electric cars. It's incredibly difficult mm-hmm. to get to ramp to, up, like yeah, that. to do yeah. that at costs that people can afford. Right. I mean, so what the Green New Deal uh, would do is just also, by the force way, take a look at the GMUAW strike right now. Yeah. I mean, do you really think everybody's going to sit back and go, oh, sure, we can do that. No problem in 10, 15 years. Yeah. So you would basically the Green New Deal would put everybody who works at an energy firm today out of business. Um, So what are those workers supposed to do? And in theory, uh, you know, if you now work for an oil driller, well, you're going to get a better job at a solar company. Uh, But the way this, uh, you know, these things don't, the solar companies aren't all going to establish themselves in Texas and North Dakota. And people are not just going to go, you know, move wherever the solar company happens to be. I'm oversimplifying, but you get the idea. So anyway, back to Pete Buttigieg. Uh, He does have an aggressive climate plan, but he doesn't, he's not saying we should set up these massive new bureaucracies. He's not saying the government should run the electrical grid, which I think is what Bernie Sanders says. Um, He says we should have a lot of powerful incentives uh, to um, transition over to green energy. And he also says we should have a carbon tax, uh, which is which is sort of the capitalistic approach to, uh, to uh, dealing with climate change. A carbon tax basically uh, is would work by uh, putting a tax on the production of carbon or fossil fuel energy. Um, and for this to work, you set it at a level that's manageable when it goes into effect, but you establish it's always going to go up over time. So basically that means uh, in a predictable fashion, uh, the cost of producing fossil fuel energy is just going to go up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And everybody is going to be able to see here's what it's going to go to next year. Here's what the tax is going to be the following year. And that in itself uh, um, makes it more economical to develop other forms of energy because they start to look – competitive if the cost of carbon energy goes up. Uh, so, it, you know, basically you're creating an incentive for the private sector to make this transition on its own, which is the most efficient way to do it. Um, most economists prefer that approach. Now, it is a carbon tax. Um, that means you're taxing you're, you're taxing energy that's going to get passed on to consumers, which can make a carbon tax unpopular. Mm-hmm. But you can also offset that by rebating uh, the tax to consumers in some other fashion because you really don't – you really not don't have a carbon tax to raise money as – you could. Mm-hmm. But the real reason is t- you, you would have it is just to make the price of that 
good carbon energy more expensive over time so that other uh, uh, clean energy becomes cheaper and more desirable. Um, so that's the way he would do he it. He also which wants is, to rejoin the Paris Accord, but I guess most of the uh, Democratic candidates yeah. want to do that. What about um, zero emissions? Does he have a date for when he wants that to happen? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that, but let's <laughs> I see. I thought it was by 2050. It looks like, so I'm looking at my spreadsheet, uh, net zero emissions from industry. So that's not the household sector, but from right. industry by 2050. And he wants all new um, automobiles to be uh, zero emission vehicles by 2035. Even uh, that, that seems that is, very that's aggressive. That's, incre- yeah. that's extremely hard. Uh, you And I don't, I frankly think it's undoable. I mean, you can do any of this. If you don't care what the cost is, right? Uh, but the problem with electric cars, the cost car- is to jobs and the industries that we just ticked off, and consumers, right? And consumers. Yeah. So the problem with electric cars today is they're they're not affordable. Um, uh, and if we actually had to pay what they actually cost, most people can't afford that. Car. And here in New York City, where are the charging stations? Where would I put my uh, electric And the more vehicle? people who have them, the them? more right. you know the backups are right. charging stations. And Tesla, just so we should point out, has never turned an annual profit. Um, and uh, we're not sure when they're going to. So that tells you how expensive this is. And that's, by the way, with the big federal tax um, credit that you've been getting for those cars, which is um, going away which for some of the, some, And hasn't some the, the credit, uh, since we're on climate, has, haven't the credits for solar panels gone away a while ago now? I don't know the answer to that. Um, there, are, I, No, I think there are some credits for solar panels. In certain states. It could, it could vary could by be, state. But I feel like some states are, have, have it really could be pulled that, back. It could be that uh, – and here we are. This is wonderful radio speculating on stuff we don't know the answer to. <laughs> or let, if, if our listeners know, please but, but, let us but know. But if you, if you were to have a serious climate plan, you would, you would, th- those are exactly the types of incentives you would put into place. So, would you, would, so. you would create more incentives for consumers to adopt these technologies. But even more important than that, you would have incentives for industry to adopt these technologies and especially the kind of, ele- the kind of power we generate in the first place. Right. Now, let's talk about another way, big way Buttigieg can separate himself uh, from from Warren, and that would be – and Sanders – would be the wealth tax. Does he have right. a wealth tax plan of his own? He does not have a wealth tax, um, but he has said he's open to it. Um, and he – you know, when he get, when pe- when uh, he gets asked about these kinds of things on TV interviews and stuff like that, um, he, his approach is, you know, let's not break some, one thing in order to fix another thing. I, I, that's not an exact quote, but he seems pretty thoughtful, you know, and he says – well, um, what would we what would we accomplish by having this policy, and what might we harm? So he has said he is open to um, higher taxes on what he calls the two percent. Um, I don't know where the threshold for the two percent is. Probably around three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand and up. Um, I know the threshold for the one percent is uh, around five hundred and twenty thousand. Okay. Um, so, but that doesn't have to be a wealth tax. I mean, so that's you could just raise the marginal, the highest marginal tax rate, uh, or the you know the top two brackets. I mean, those go up and down all the time. So you could raise more revenue, uh, but simply by raising the top tax brackets, uh, that is different from the wealth tax. What Warren and Sanders want to do with the wealth tax, they say that um, the ultra wealthy. Basically, don't have labor income, or they have so little labor income that we're not getting the amount of money from them that we should from the income tax. So they want to have a flat tax on wealth at certain levels. And Elizabeth Warren's would start at fifty million dollars worth of wealth, for example, and at that level she would um, tax you two percent a year. Um, so that would be a taxation on your assets. Not your income, which and we've she discussed, says, is a is yeah. a tough thing. It's so squishy, right? How do you know somebody's overall 
It's asset um, right. worth. You have as about to there's a valuation problem, sure. um, especially with illiquid assets such as um, real estate that hasn't been sold. I mean, some some people own land that hasn't been sold for decades. Sure. How do you know what that's worth? And I, I know yeah. that in France, they uh, they used to have a wealth tax. And farmers who had been who owned land that had been in the family for decades and in some cases centuries got assessed the wealth tax, but they did not have a lot of income to pay the wealth tax. Yeah. So yeah, that's nice. Stick it to the farmer. So they were, you know, the government decided they were wealthy because of the land that they sat on that they owned, but they didn't have a lot of money to pay the tax. So they got rid of their wealth tax. I would, for that I would like it to think work. so. Over there in France. All right. Another way that um, another big one here that I think differentiates the candidates is. College debt, how do you pay for college? Should college be free? Should we sh- forgive all college debt? Where does Buttigieg stand? Yeah, there? that's another big Sanders and Warren right. giveaway. And I, I'll, by the way, I'll give a preview to our millions of listeners. Um, I'm planning to uh, sit down. It, it, I'm just dying to know, how much does Elizabeth Warren really want to raise taxes? Because every plan she's got, you know, she famously has a plan for everything. Yep. Um, her, I, All of her plans are big. They all cost hundreds of billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. So I'm going to add up all the taxes, the tax increases oh, that you? Elizabeth Warren I look Warren forward to that. To That'll I'm be another try podcast. To come up, I'm going to try to come up with a number. Um, but at any rate, and then she, I think you should include in the next debate. You should somehow get that question yeah, in there. That's you I'll, know I'll people. Work, you can do it. that. I'll work on it. Okay. So you're right. Uh, so Bernie Sanders, I think, would forgive all student debt out there and make all college free. Um, and Elizabeth Warren would cancel uh, some student debt based on household income levels. So Bernie's plan is more generous. I think it would include everybody. Elizabeth Warren says no. Let's uh, have an income threshold. And then pay for college for just those people who fall below the income threshold. Either way you do that is really, again, really expensive. expensive. Like, uh, they, you know, they throw these ideas around as if it's really simple. And there's this additional problem that, um, you know, what about the person who just finished paying off their student loans? You and I have talked about this on That's another called, podcast. You're screwed. You're screwed. Yeah. So there's like generational unfairness here. So if you just graduated, you get a big gift, which is the government pays off all your debt. But if you just paid off fifty thousand dollars, oh, I know, you don't I know, get it back. they can give somebody a down payment for their house. Then sure, if you're... <laughs> just the government <laughs> should just keep ways, giving you know, out money to help the government. Just... Out. So anyway, what is what is uh, Pete Buttigieg's thing here? He's he has a very modest uh, debt cancellation plan. He would um, cancel some debt for people in low-income areas, but it'd be, you know, a very contained program, nowhere near as broad as uh, what Sanders and Warren want to do. And I think the benefit of these narrower programs is that um, you can target a legitimate problem, but you're not going to remake the entire system. And I think part, you know, part of the plan with uh, Sanders and Warren, who just want to take one thing after another after another, huge parts of the U.S. economy, and just completely remake that, remake them, is the unintended consequence problem. I mean, the the, the bigger you go, um, the more problems you create that you didn't anticipate. Um, and you know, a good example of that is the Affordable Care Act, which was not really a big program for all the attention the ACA Obamacare got. That was not a big government program. It was a you know sizable government program. It actually didn't affect most Americans much. Uh, but when we saw that a couple million people actually could not get the health insurance that they used to have, their health insurance basically got canceled because it no longer complied with the law under the ACA. It turns out that Obama's claim that if you like your insurance, you can keep it turned out to be completely wrong. Uh, and that uh, has nearly sunk the ACA as a program. I and mean, that's one of the reasons it was unpopular for years. And it, I think it's only recently 
got above 50% approval. I mean, that never, it never, it did not have to be that disruptive. Um, and that was, like again, that was a small program. So that gives you a preview of the, you know, what, what I think would be massive dissatisfaction if we did, you know, get rid of a private insurance and go into Medicare for all. So I think Pete Buttigieg is, his, his economic program is basically, let's not remake anything that isn't really broken. And uh, I think some of the others, they want to remake things that aren't broken. Speaking of breaking, uh, we know that a number of the candidates want to break up big tech, uh, Facebook being a mm -hmm. target. Um, Buttigieg, of course, a, a Harvard graduate where, where um, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg uh, you know, was, was able to start Facebook. Yep. Um, I read that Buttigieg was the 287th person to yeah. sign up for Facebook, and he knows Mark Zuckerberg personally. And he's gone on the record as saying he doesn't favor a big breakup in the way Warren and Sanders and others are talking about. He says he he calls it implementing a, quote, spectrum of regulation over the industry. But I'll tell you what, I really like that he actually came out and called it like it is. And, you know, when they had the hearings and Zuckerberg went before lawmakers and they were questioning him and... You know, nothing against the lawmakers, but they, you got the feeling that they didn't quite under, fully understand the technology that they were talking about. And Buttigieg called him out and he said, people in charge of regulating a very powerful force, demonstrating that they had no concept of what it was they were in charge of overseeing. And he stressed this wasn't about age, but about knowledge. I, I have a feeling a little it is a little generational, Pete. There was one hearing uh, uh, with Mark Zuckerberg uh, where, you know, a member of the panel, uh, I think it was a senator, who was uh, doing the investigation, asked him, how does your company make money anyway? Yeah. And he sort of, <laughs> he sort of went like this and said, we sell ads. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> that was a good, that was, that was a moment. There so were many Buda, moments. I mean, Buttigieg is right. So we need to point out that there's been this controversy recently because Mark Zuckerberg personally recommended some uh, hires for the Buttigieg campaign. And this, I don't know if it went directly to Pete Buttigieg's email or to somebody on the staff, but they, they the Buttigieg campaign actually did hire two people Mark Zuckerberg personally recommended and his wife also Priscilla, personally right, recommended. Right. And I think there were some other recommended hires there. So this has become, oh, controversial among the chattering class because it looks as if Mark Zuckerberg has an in with the Democratic uh, campaign. And Mark Zuckerberg has come out and said, no, I was just recommending a couple people that he might want to hire. We happen to know each other. Um, well, and, and actually, Buttigieg's campaign came out and said, you know what? We get resumes yep. from former presidents mm -hmm. and from military folks and from people who have really great resumes. So the pundits uh, are, are, are having are, a field day. We're going this. like this. Aha! Right. Aha! We knew it. Right. We, knew, we knew Zuckerberg was going to was a Dem We know he was a liberal and that he was going to be supporting some candidate. Frankly, I don't care about this. Do you care? I don't care about this either. I, and I, I just, do know. I think this is kind of a non -story. Even in our own industry, I've sent people's resumes along sure. to others if I believe that they could do a good job. Didn't mean yeah. I was endorsing the place or the person they were going to work for. Right. I was trying to help them out. Now, look, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook have some big time problems in my view. I think they're completely blowing it by saying, oh, it's it's a matter of free speech to let people lie on Facebook. That's crazy. Um, so I'm not a Zuckerberg fan, but I think that, to me, this is a non-issue with his, whatever role he has whispering into uh, Pete Buttigieg's ear. Uh, let's go back to the breakup question. Again, I mean, I keep coming back to this theme that I think, based on his actual policies, Pete Buttigieg is pretty uncontroversial and pretty moderate um, in terms of the things he wants to do. So uh, he, you know, my view about breaking up big tech. So again, Sanders and Warren, break them up. 
Break them up. They're too big. If you're big, you're bad. If you're powerful, you're bad. Break them up. Um, Elizabeth Warren says, uh, you know, Facebook falls right in the in the middle of antitrust uh, just justifications for why you break up a company. I th I don't see wh where she gets that because usually you break up a company because it has a monopoly and because it has a monopoly, it's gouging consumers, right? Well, last I checked, Facebook was still free. Free. Still Google, free. Free. Yeah. Amazon. Best deal, uh, you know, 100 million people pay for uh, two-day shipping. I mean, it's uh, and that's considered um, a good service for customers, not bad service. And you know so what that's actually done? It's forced other companies, like their competitors, like Target and Walmart, to offer the, us two-day delivery. They have, they have improved customer service everywhere in right. retail, Amazon. That's what Amazon has done. Because com the competition has to keep so up. So I, I think the case for breaking up these companies for antitrust violations is very weak uh, because they don't, they're just not – committing the, tr the traditional antitrust violations. And that seems to be what uh, Pete Buttigieg is saying. There are other issues. Are they complying properly with data uh, privacy laws? Should we have new data privacy laws? Um, are, is the law behind the times when it comes to tech firms? I think the answer to all those questions is probably yes. Mm -hmm. But you don't break up a company because we don't have the right set of laws to regulate them. That's not what you do. You 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 uh, pass the kinds of laws you need to regulate the company, and then you just regulate the company. Yep. And, and that's so what he's, he's saying. And that's he's basically saying, what he's, he's saying. He's calling it government's technological literacy, yeah. which I love. We need to up that. All right. Well, look, there's still a long way between now and Lock November 2020. Absolutely. But at least for today, Pete Buttigieg seems to be really gaining on Warren, Biden, and Sanders. And I think that, I think that the more people know about him, him, yeah. Uh, and they uh, realize, oh, he's not. He doesn't want to do what Elizabeth Warren wants to do. He doesn't want to uh, revamp everything under the sun and have these big tax increases to pay for it. I think he becomes a better and more compelling candidate as people learn more about Would him. Would be the youngest president ever if yeah, it were to happen. 37 too. right now. All right. We want to thank everybody for checking out this latest podcast. Be sure to follow us at Alexis TV News. And at Rick J. Newman. All right. And be sure to go and rate and review this podcast. We'll see you next week with a fresh one.